So guys, I have some amazing news. On International Men's Day, November 19th, come and join me and some esteemed guests such as Johnny Benjamin, Simon Thomas, Hope Virgo, Tom Chapman and more as we partner with Sure Mind Charity Beyond and the Lions Barber Collective for an evening with some of the celebrated authors from Trigger Hub debunking myths around men's mental health. As a guest, in person or online, you will be part of a conversation as we tackle some of the all-too-common manner myths from my book, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, what it really means to be a man in 2021. It's not one to miss, so head to the link in the description to RSVP today or head over to mantalk.live to get your tickets now. That's head over to mantalk.live to get your tickets now. Welcome to a special episode of Talk More, brought to you in collaboration with Movember. Today, I'm joined by psychotherapist Nathaniel Oke and my good friends Richard Harris and Ryan Nile. We are having an in-depth conversation as men today about the past year filled with pandemic woes, collective racial trauma, and exploring why men need to have better conversations around mental health especially black men and especially in 2021. But first, as I said, this podcast is in collaboration with Movember. Movember focuses on mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer and testicular cancer in men and has since 2003 funded more than 1,250 men's health projects around the world, challenging the status quo, shaking up men's health research and transforming the way health services reach and support men. This year, Movember urges men to take care of their health as the life expectancy gap between men and women begins to widen again after 40 years. After narrowing steadily for almost four decades, Movember's call for a greater focus on men's health and empowerment of men to take action to improve their health and analysis of official figures has shown that the difference in life expectancy between men and women in the UK dropped from six years in 1982 to 84 down to 3.6 years in 2016 to 18. However, prior to the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, the gap in life expectancy between men and women began to widen again, and in the years 2017 to 19 stood at 3.6 or 3.7 years. The gap further expanded in 2018 to 20 to 3.9 years, largely driven by higher mortality rates in men from COVID-19. The impact of COVID-19 has also caused a fall in male life expectancy for the first time in 40 years. A baby boy born between 2018 and 2020 is expected to live until he is 79 years old, while estimates for women remained broadly unchanged, with girls born in 2018 to 20 likely to live for 82.9 years. A six-month research project from November on the impact of the pandemic showed that three in five men suffered from poor well-being and a third met the World Health Organization's criteria for depression. It also found more than half of men surveyed believe COVID has had a permanent impact on their mental health. November encourages talking to people you trust when times get tough and speaking to a health professional when you need to. Confiding in someone about an issue that's bothering you can help you stay mentally healthy. 
It isn't a sign of emotional weakness. Getting someone else's perspective can help you see a situation in a new light. So stay tuned for this episode that I have with Nathaniel O.K., Richard Harris and Ryan Nile as we sit down and chat about men, men's health, what it means to be black men today and how we can move forward in the conversation around mental health in 2021. Enjoy. Welcome to a special conversation a special episode of Talk More. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Movember. Uh, today, we are joined by the irreverent Ryan Nile. Uh, we are joined by Richard Harris, as you guys well know, and to the foray of Wholesome. Wholesome Conversation is psychotherapist Nathaniel O.K., where we will be getting into questions surrounding black men and mental health and throwing some questions at Nathaniel that might make us make sense about what is going on in the community pertaining to therapy, men and mental well-being. Welcome to the podcast, Nathaniel, and welcome back, you old hags, Ryan and Rich. <laughs> yeah, you know, I to say hags. Yeah, in it. <laughs> Listen, you guys, you guys are long in the tooth. <laughs> you guys are long in the tooth on this on this podcast. Like, like Nathaniel is the esteemed guest. Please, thank um, you, absolutely. thank you, thank you, uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's, no. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting platform. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it, and also, you know, it's a it's a good it's a good podcast. I've done a little bit of research in it, and I'm like, okay, you know, well done, well done. congratulations for having this platform and persevering through i can imagine challenging periods to maintain it right so kudos to you guys for that as well thank you thank you so much everybody's like you know what i I can't even take all the credit which you know i would do but um, i was about to give you (laughs) no man like you know like honestly this it wouldn't like talk more wouldn't happen without richard the episodes wouldn't sound crisp without Ryan. I'm just here with. I'm just, I just. I just arrived each week with a do rag on, like literally. Um, so, you know what? So big up to all of you, man. It's a, It's um. You know, it's an honor to kind of to do this as well. Um. Yeah. How is everybody doing before we roll in to the episode? How's everyone? How's everyone holding up? I have been up since three a.m. So I'm hanging in there. I'm like on the last bit. You know when uh-huh. you know, the last bit of like bacon meat <laughs> against the fat. Last bit of now. I'm the fledgling. Why? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I I was sleeping well and good. I was sleeping well <laughs> and good, and then all of a sudden at two thirty, I was just not, <laughs> and I was just is up. It the moon? Huh. I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's usually the moon, but it's not a full moon. Um, at this period of time, I'm just interesting. I'm just having problems. You, did you did you feel well rested when you woke up? So I woke up and I was like, you know, when you wake up and you think, oh yeah, at least it's going to be four or five a.m. So it's close mm-hmm. enough to like reasonable hours. It was two thirty, and I was like, wait. So I've only been asleep for what four hours. <laughs> so um, Rah. yeah. So I but the thing is, like, I had loads on my mind. So I started listening to a podcast. Um, I started listening to writers talk about writing and then I got inspired and I started thinking about the essay that I'm writing and, okay. and then I found myself at my desk at 4am with a candle lit at the front wow. I, I, guys, I'm, Ebenezer with a candle I'm telling yeah, you that's candle what I thought. guys I am telling you the 2021 I am, version I am <laughs> cliche listen wow so, um, so yeah so I was there yes. and then so that again? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds as if you're freeing the slaves or something. Like. I don't know what it is, but I was there. <laughs> I was on the there. railroad or something. Yeah, yeah, for real, <laughs> isn't it? 
Well, him through it. That's what came to mind for me. It was my digress. tobacco antique wood. Oh, okay. That kind of candle. Yeah, that kind of candle. It was scented because I had to get, oh, right. I had to get through. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a penny wax candle. <laughs> Guys, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. That's, I've been that's up book that. two. That's I've been book up. Two. <laughs> that's book two. Oh, in it. <laughs> Life by candlelight. <laughs> candle sessions. All right. All right. How are you, how are you doing, Time to candle. I am doing good, you know. Um, thank you so much for asking. Right, you look good, you know. You oh, know, some people that. say they're doing good and they just look dragged. Good, <laughs> Them ones like, show business. <laughs> yeah, man. Nah. Do you know what? I'm an energy person and um, I'm just really grateful to be here um, with you guys and to be here to, you know, have a... I love deep chats and, um, mm. yeah, to be a part of something like this is is epic. I've had a, a good, varied day. I've realised that... Um, Although I, you know, I love kind of being in my own space and stuff like that. I have noticed that when I do have a day that's full of variety, I tend to be a bit more energetic and a bit happier. So I'm noting, noticing that down. And um, today I've had a varied day in which I feel I've done good work. So I am feeling good. Nice. Sounds good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, Nathaniel. How am I doing? That's a good question. Uh, a question seldom asked of therapists, right? Mm. We usually mm. do. We're usually the ones asking the question. So, uh, how am I doing today? Busy day. Uh, I usually put it into two categories: good busy or bad busy, mm. right? Bad busy is when you're chasing your tail. You're not doing anything. You're just getting busy being busy. And good busy is that you're working towards something, one of your goals that you can see actually maturing into something. So today has been a, a mix of both. Uh, just back-to-back-to-back clients. I just finished my last client probably five minutes before coming on the call. Whoa. Yeah, so it's been, yeah, three three in the evening. So, yeah, the the brain is still awake, so you're still caught in a good time as well. So, (laughs) in processing. But generally, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling blessed. I'm, you know, appreciative of where I'm at in my, in my own personal journey so yeah but thanks amazing i'm all right amazing. i'm all right thank you thank you thank you for sharing powerful answer. yeah I mean, we got you fresh we got you fresh off the back. fresh yeah I'm, I'm scared now you maybe you may be getting some freshness that's just coming out straight without, without any filter I'm, I'm gonna try and input some filters in there yeah, oh, yeah. good good oh, yeah. all right richard 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 how are you doing? Uh, how am I? Today came from my neck, you know. Today tried oh. to drag me, but <laughs> but I'm doing <laughs> no, but I'm doing okay, you know. I've I've spent most of my afternoon just trying to be like, don't let it get on top of you, let it go, breathe through it, focus on some achievements. I had a really good meeting <laughs> today um, about a, uh, a project that I've been approached to do uh, in collaboration with a charity. Um, so I met with the curator and just kind of threw my idea out and, and he really loved it. He's really excited about it. So I've been trying to focus on that and f- focus on this. Um, yeah, but, but it's been, it's been a tough day. It's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. And a nice way to round it off with me and, uh, and other people. <laughs> um, all right. 
Um, so yeah, if we dive into the show, there's actually, I want to start with with the very specifics of what Movember is kind of um, is doing this year with regards to this month because um, it's unofficially Men's Mental Health Month because. Um, Technically, you don't necessarily have the month, but Movember have created um, the month mm. there. Um, and it's International Men's Day on the 19th of November as well. So um, so according to Movember, men's health is on the decline and has been on the decline for a while, but specifically since COVID-19. Um, mm. Movember said a six-month research project from them on the impact of the pandemic showed that three in five men suffered from poor well-being and a third met the World Health Organization's criteria for depression. It also found more than half of men surveyed around 54% believe COVID has had a permanent impact on their mental health. Now, wow. I I wanted to just ask what you thought about this, because um, I think at the beginning of the pandemic last year, um, that was one of my, my big, big concerns. I said there's going to be a huge mental health crisis happening because while we, while we were all, well, while I was joking about things, um, just saying, oh, yeah, we're all locked down. We're all inside. Everyone's kind of doing stuff. I was acutely aware that I had lost jobs. I had, um, you know, I hadn't had a haircut in like, you know, a long time. <laughs> and I was a big deal. And I was it's trying to, one, though. I was yeah, trying to listen, cut my... that. I laughed, but only because it hit. Yeah, I was only trying Mike, to cut... trust me. I was trying to cut my own hair and I couldn't leave the house. Like the way the fade didn't, didn't, didn't happen. But that's just, on the, that's on just, just to butt in there. On the positive, it was on my bucket list to learn how to cut my own hair. Everyone was trying to do it. Every... me that opportunity. Listen. Did you do it? I did. Have yeah, you... yeah, I did. Oh, um, you I mean, it. I mean, the main thing was that when I messed up, I didn't have to go out. <laughs> so <laughs> that worked out. And then I, I've, got, I've got better. Yeah. I've got better. You know, I, me- I remember, right. I remember because you, you said, you showed me, uh, this is what you've done with me. And it, and it looked good. And I showed yeah. you and mine looked like a hedge. Of some kind. And I, don't know. I was trying to like. I, I, was, I, I, was trying, I was trying to fade. I was trying to fade the sun. I don't know anybody does it. I wear glasses, so I've got to then look out between the. Fr- oh, I can't. Yeah. yeah, it's long, so it is difficult because you're you know up is down, left is right, up is down, left is right. But well, I say that to say like you know black people, black men, like when we when we get our haircuts, it's like certain powers and certain levels are just unlocked. Like we leave face can feel smoother, look smoother. You're confident. I literally play Return of the Mac in my mind in my head every time I step out of the barbershop. <laughs> so, even in my mind. I got my Bluetooth speaker ready. Honestly, to like I'm like I'm walking down I'm walking down the street. Yes, I want to go into Tesco and buy that thing. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to go out. Um and when you just don't have that um it 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 affects like the the connection with just you know personal grooming and like not being able to go outside and you're just looking rough yeah. and raggedy and then everyone expects you yeah. to be on Instagram live and you're just like right. nah my do rag yeah, became my best yeah. friend it was just it was all a lot so I wanted to know what you guys thought about that what were your guys' perspectives from the pandemic um, going forward with regards to men and mental health and your own personal views can I just say just before I forget that. One of the things one of my barbers said is don't ever make a key decision without having your haircut because you think differently after having your haircut. And he was half like joking, but it's true. Like I actually do. I feel and think different after Mm. having a haircut or when 
even like in the days after I've had my haircut, because I don't know, it's just it's a mark of self love, and mm. I don't I don't know, like it could be scientific as well with mm. like letting go of things that have been growing and thoughts and stuff like that, yeah. and I don't know, there's just something about it for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'd hundred um, percent uh, believe what you're saying there. With well, my mum, my mum said when I went freelance, oh, yeah. she was like. I don't care what money you make as long as you have enough money to get your hair cut. Wow. And I was like, mm. I was like, look at your priorities. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> not, even, not even the bills. You just want me to look like somebody's child. You know how, you know how Jamaicans are? For real, yeah. <laughs> you look like my son now. I'm like, I always did. Like, I'd be embarrassed in these streets. <laughs> She's like, don't embarrass me. <laughs> Looking like... <laughs> but yeah. So, last year, how did you guys do? Mm. Mm. Shall I go first? Yeah. So, yeah, last year was a was a challenging one in various ways. So, um, as Alex knows, I was hosting a daily live Instagram show um, wow. connecting with uh, frontline workers because at the time, um, as we will remember from a UK standpoint at least, um, the focus was very much on the NHS, which is great. Um, but also there was other groups of frontline workers that were helping keeping the country going, including mm-hmm. bus drivers, yeah. um, teachers, uh, supermarket, um, the people that work in the supermarket um, and all sorts. And I wanted mm-hmm. to connect with those uh, groups just to hear what they were saying and what they were, mm-hmm. like even funeral directors, five, mm-hmm. five people. And um, yeah, connected with, with so many and gave them the platform to share what was happening and to connect Mm. with other people so we could do more than just clap for the NHS. And, um, that was, that was really good. And that started in, you know, at start of lockdown last March. Um, what I didn't realize was that it was going to go all the way through to, uh, (laughs) mid August daily. And, um, that was a lot because I, um, have a full-time job. I run a production company um, mm. and I was also doing this. Plus it's a pandemic. So I, I just didn't realize um, the extent in which um, I would, I would, I would actually feel that. And this is something I'm trying to work on and maybe something we can discuss today, just about like um, knowing, knowing the signs and knowing your kind of your tales of mm. how you actually feeling. Cause I struggle with identifying that sometimes and um, mm. bear in mind as well. So I'm doing this daily show throughout the pandemic. In May, the unfortunate event of George Floyd happens. And yeah. I'm in a, I'm like hosting the show and engaging in these topics and having to process it. And this is all my choice, by the way. So it's not, it's not like anyone was forcing me, but you know, you kind of get in those positions where you start to build a bit of a, a, an audience and it's like, well, I owe it to everyone that's in the pandemic. Yeah. that has been supporting this platform to to show up you know mm-hmm. um but i didn't realize the toll that mm-hmm. it took the toll that it took was quite massive by the time i got to august i just had to put up a um a video there's a scene at the end of um well at the, spoiler alert in forrest gump when um he's i mean if you haven't seen it by now but <laughs> 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 um where he's he he just goes for a run and he ends up running across country and he builds up a group of people that are following him and yeah. are running with him and he just gets to a point he just turns around on this long beautiful road and says I just I don't feel like running anymore 
you know and i couldn't relate more in that moment to to that scene and i i I sent that to the following that had built up and at the time i had the intention of coming back and continuing it but as i kind of put my brain down to rest Mm. and let it breathe for a bit and reconnected with me not the me for everyone else um I reconnected and I was like, do you know what? That that was for then. Like I have to know when to, you know, leave the party sometimes and um, know when the moment is as well. Like that was for the moment. And I'm happy that I did that and happy that I could also kind of put that to bed without having to revitalize it for a different reason. Cause yeah. the intent was to connect with frontline workers. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, t- that, took a toll and I, I just had to basically retreat from everything from creating content um i i didn't do my own podcast um and i've kind of I've just utilized it in in a way of how can i uh how can i kind of fall back and become a, a better producer a better support system for the people that i work with at the same time while like healing and reflecting and and everything like that so and that's a very that was a very personal account of last uh, year yeah that's what we wanted um, okay perfect it's, yeah um, but yeah definitely like you said i mean i was i was lucky that i kept my job throughout but i saw so many people um around me as well that that didn't you know mm. and um the ups and downs that people have had to go through the juggles the grief um in amongst the global grief in amongst mm. the black male grief in particular. Mm. Um, it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to deal with. So, mm. but yeah, hanging on in there. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, thank you for sharing. That's, 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 that's deep. That's real. But also, I guess for me, the question for you would be when you say it took its toll on you, mm. how did you recognize that? What does that look like? that toll what does that look like for you very good i think i get overwhelmed um probably anxious mm-hmm. i think when i start putting off things that i once enjoyed and was excited for um that's a telltale sign um also other other signs is how it's affected my own relationship mm-hmm. family life and when when those things start to kind of fall out of uh, harmony then for me I was like mm, yeah no this I've, I've maybe taken this a bit too too far and that could that could apply to anything you know that could apply to saying yes to too many things yeah which ultimately I, I think that's probably what it boils down to yeah. okay all right thank you thanks for, you know no, thank thank you for the question yes well hearing the, your personal experience of it I, I I think that's that's where the real conversation lies right because when you can talk directly from your own position, we, you know, I think a lot of the times we generalize things to be more inclusive of other people's thoughts and experiences. But when we almost miss the whole point that the power lies in talking from our first person narrative, right? Because we can go to places that we can't go to when we empathize with others. So if I empathize with you, I can't, go into the detail of missing out in relationships, saying too many times yes to so many people and what that feels like for you. I won't be able to connect to that. Only you could actually 
recognize it, right? So hearing that from that, something that started from a beautiful, powerful place of trying to connect with people that are actually out there helping us, <coughs> right? And it, it reminds me of this saying that I have, that I've always said it for many years, and I guess it's, it's fitting with my profession. And the saying is a, is a question, actually, almost like a retrospective question. Who saves the man that saves the world? Mm. <laughs> and, and that's why I say it, though, and that's almost like my mm. slogan for years is, who saves the man that's... The, yeah. The come to cook us, you know, like... <laughs> no. <laughs> is that, is, that, is it's, that your stand, Daddy? It's just, it's just <laughs> real. And when you think about it, for, for a lot of men, not even in my profession as a psychotherapist, yeah. for a lot of men, I think that saying can resonate. Mm. Or maybe not, but for me, I always feel it can. Who saves the man that saves the world? And when you think about it on the micro level of your household, right? Yeah. Yeah. what is expected of you or these mm-hmm. expectations that you've internalized. Because a lot of the times people don't come to you and say, oh, I expect you to pay all the bills or I expect you to kill any mouse in the house. <laughs> I expect you, if I hear noises at night, that you are the first one going down. Like, I haven't got things to live for as well. <laughs> right? I expect, and it's, you know... I expect yeah. you to be this, this, and this. And sometimes men have, without even speaking to each other, we may have a similar way of believing the world expects things from us. Mm-hmm. And I ask when I do men's group, and I'm like, okay, who has told you this directly, that these are the expectations of you as an individual? And most of the time, the answer is usually, what, no, what? Well, that's the way it is, mm. yeah. you know, and it's about asking. So when you were talking there, uh, Ryan, it definitely resonated because it was that sense of you, you kind of answered your own question because initially you said, how will I recognize when things are becoming too much for me? And you in that, by the way, the Forrest Gump analogy, you know, I, I, I work in analogies, right? Yeah. Therapists will be talking about analogies, metaphors, any Every which day. way we can to connect with yeah. clients, right? But yeah. that analogy, I saw it and I'm like, yeah. perfect analogy, oh, right? You. Because you can see in that moment, it's like, all right, I want to stop now. Mm-hmm. But it's that, but I don't want to let people down. And people are counting on me. And yes. we start creating our own pressures because no one has said to you, hey, you better not stop. We're all depending on you. We're all counting on you. But you have inferred that. It's true. From that. And that builds up the pressure. And it's like, when when will I stop? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah, but it's impressive mm-hmm. that you identified as well for yourself when you're getting overwhelmed, when you're getting anxious, all of those things, you pieced it together and said, okay, time out. Mm. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. When you when you say it back, it does, it does make sense. Um, and I, I suppose I'm saying that from a perspective now, having gone through it, um, it's a lot murkier at the time. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody knew what was going on, so we yeah. didn't have a we didn't have a blueprint. And I'm not talking about the Jay Z album. We didn't have a we didn't have a <laughs> blueprint. Yeah, right. We it was just like okay. Um, so here we are. 
basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, Mom, when you guys used to walk ten miles to the to the well to fetch water, um, how did you deal with COVID? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. That didn't exist then. New challenges. Yeah, but I, I, I've got a similar experience to yours as well, Ryan, that I'll talk about later over COVID period yeah. and, and the Instagram lives as well. So, yeah. Right. But, Interesting. Yeah. Let's, jump, let's jump, to, jump to Rich. So, yeah. COVID messed me up in a lot of different ways, I think. Um, freelancing, my work just yeah. disappeared. Um, so there was so much anxiety and uncertainty around that. Um, I had my hand in a lot of different kind of jobs and like different streams at the same time. So what I ended up doing um, for a lot of the year was actually um, research. So doing a lot of qualitative research um, and some quantitative research as well with um, big like national youth charities looking at the state of mental health um, amongst young people in the UK uh, and particularly how how the lockdown, how COVID had impacted mental health um, and how it had impacted um, youth services, which was incredible because young people's mental health is very much a passion of mine. But after months and months and months of talking to young people and hearing how people were struggling and speaking to youth workers um, and, you know, just the spike in referrals or the, the spike in disclosures, you know, young people disclosing that they've been having suicidal ideation or, you know, anything, anxiety, depression, whatever. Um, and just hearing how basically CAMS was just completely bottlenecked, completely shut down. Um, it, it became very difficult, became really depressing. Mm. Very, very depressing. Um, and I think <clears throat> you know, certainly the the murder of George Floyd and and the debate that arose around that as well. You know, lots of people, you know, said, oh well we you know, don't don't know if it's a murder yet and all this business. It just it just really I think it kicked my my frustration, my disappointment, my discontent with kind of the state of play uh, in the world that we're in at the moment, all into hyperdrive and my anxiety really shot through the roof. Um, because I, I had my own experience of being held up by police and I thought I was going to die. Um, and so all of that kind of, it was when I was, really, I, I think I must have been 16, surrounded by about, um, I don't know, probably about 10 or 12 officers with, you know, big automatic weapons. Um, and so that kind of really came back in a way that I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about it for, you know, since I was a teenager, really. I didn't, I don't think I ever really dealt with it. So that kind of really resurfaced. And I was even saying to my therapist, you know, like, when I hear police sirens, I like I instinctively feel unsafe. Um, <clears throat> and so it was a weird, yeah, it was such a weird mix of, 
of emotions and and a lot of emotional labor having to explain to people why I didn't want to be in a Zoom meeting, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't have anything to do with my work and why I didn't want to be in um, morning check-ins and, like, just lots of different points that, that just felt too, like, too much emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the surprising thing for me, I think, was how much I pulled back from. So, for me, when I'm processing a lot of um, difficult emotions and stuff. Usually, I would go to, you know, writing poetry or um, photography. Like they really have been my outlet um, and a place where I can, you know, just put everything down and then, you know, read or look at it and reflect and go, oh, okay, cool. Like that's what's going on right now. Interesting. Okay, how do we process through this? How do we deal with this? <clears throat> but I barely produced anything at all. Mm. And I, you know, a few times I would take my camera and I'd go for a walk and come back with nothing and just, I just had the feeling of like, I've got nothing to give to this. I've got nothing to, I just don't have it, you know, to put the camera even to my eye um, or the pen to page. Um, And I think, yeah, to, to, maybe to, to kind of sum it up in one word, I felt like a lot of unraveling. Um, but the positive side to that is that there's been a lot of re-raveling as well. There's been a lot of kind of like really refining what I want to do, what is important to me, where I do want to spend my energy, you know, and, and how to really start, um, you know, plotting a course towards the thing that I, things that I really desire. So definitely a heavy and very, very difficult time, but I'm, I'm appreciative of the kind of moments of clarity that I've, I've had in that space where I've kind of just sat down with myself to reflect and to really process some of that stuff and, and kind of gone, okay, yeah, this is a point of focus. This is a direction that I want to go in and, and here are some things that I think I need to let go, um, in light of that. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. It was a dark place because it was so confusing because nobody knew what was happening, right? Mm. Like, um, I came into that year off the back of my, my nan passing at the end of 2019. Mm. And I was like, thank God she didn't have to experience this pandemic. Hmm. Because you know what, Alex, as well, because my my nan yes, passed yeah, a few yeah. months after yours. Yeah, yeah. Just just what two, three weeks before we went into lockdown. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think we had one of the last like funerals before all the restrictions mm. kicked in, and I said that to my mum as well. You know, as bad as happened. it sounds, but I'm so glad it happened then and not yeah. throughout because that would just just would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um just to, for me it was like 2020 because I was writing the book during 2020 and um and I was just like this is all everything's coming like I was speaking to men about you know for the book um and then I'm getting all of these stories about like I'm having to rehash all my grief again yeah. and then like then George Floyd and then I'm rehashing all of that again and then I'm kind of like 
consistently pouring so much into the book and all of that. So I was, I was occupied. I was kind of, I was mm. blessed that I had something to do for the, for at least nine months. I was like, okay, I have to just, I have something to just focus on. Um, mm. But I couldn't help, but I, you know, for me, I, I was kind of, I lent into my introversion. I lent, I really lent into my introversion. I, I used that time to do a lot of like healing personally. I was very much, I was getting really in tune with my inner worlds, um, all the stuff. But 2019, 2018, I was everywhere all the time. I was up and down across London. I was on the overground. I was on the underground. I was on the TFL rail. I was on the national rail. I was in the streets. I was long. I was going, you know, and I was doing all of that. And like when this all happened, I was like, thank God I don't actually have to do any of that anymore. I don't have mm. to go anywhere. There's no, there is a valid excuse to not do things and to yeah. not actually see people that I don't want to see and not connect to, I mean, I'm connect with the people that I want to connect with. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was something that was really healing for me. And I felt a lot of, my, I felt my body change, like physically, I felt like lighter. I felt more relaxed I felt content yeah I was you know there were five of us in the house and we kind of juggling how to kind of live with each other in that way you know you're you're posting up with people because you're trying to like you know I'm I'm freelancing so I always had the house to myself and then all of a sudden all of these people all those people are in the house why are you now yeah, so, uh, like, I, I, you know what? I was used to, I was actually just used to just meandering downstairs, you know, getting uh-huh. snacks, you know, probably writing some right. stuff like this the dining room table, probably lounging and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden, everyone's in the living room working. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. so now I'm in my room. And remember, the gyms were closed as well. Everything was shut. Yeah. Everything was shut. So, I was doing workouts in my room. I was working in my room. I was sleeping. Everything was here. And it yeah. was just, so hard because I began to then really miss my actual friends <laughs> and I really began to like miss my family and it was just really like it became difficult and everyone was getting ratty and really trying to figure out how to navigate this um mm. so yeah it was it was super tough and I'm I'm you know if I didn't have therapy and if I didn't have you guys if I didn't have if I wasn't like in strong communities and in strong community with myself as well i would i don't know how it would have it would have panned out and um so yeah ever grateful Mm. but um nathaniel what was it like what was it like from you know your perspective as a therapist but also as just you (laughs) as a regular person like what was that like yeah um what was it like as a human for, first and foremost, right? Mm. Before the profession. Yes. Um, I have a way of, and I think this is historic for me personally, I have a way of coping with things that I go into a certain mode mm. that it's almost like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm that kind of person that if something is kicking off, many times it did when I was younger, I'll be the person that I'm scanning the situation. I'm looking at, okay, where the exits and what can we do? That kind of thing, right? I'm the kind of person that would not be scared. I'm like, oh, no, blood. Oh, no, this happened. I'm almost like, all right. So when this happened, because of my profession as well, I was very aware that tick, 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 boom, was was around the corner. Yeah. Because what the way we lived before, yeah. 
as much as we're finding out now that it wasn't necessarily the best way for us to live our lives, it did one great thing for us, which it it distracted us, right? It distracted (laughs) us from certain things now that we are coming to terms with because the distraction is gone. So the amount of people resigning from their jobs through the roof into the millions. The great flight, wasn't it? Yeah. The great flight everywhere. And a lot of these people are leaving not to go somewhere else. Some of them are just leaving, leaving. right? So, and then you look at certain relationships and certain relationships that have been going on for years because there's distraction there. They may spend two hours. When you think about it logistically, you go to work, you wake up in the morning, get dressed, go to work. You come back, you may have dinner together, and then you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Two, three hours tops. Yeah. Right? So all the shenanigans or somebody's <laughs> behavior that you have issues with, you'll be like, all right, good night. Nathaniel, you're raining down the fire, bro. The, shenan- <laughs> the shenanigans, you know. The shena- you, know, you, know you know those ones that you're like, oh, you know what, I'll allow it. And, <laughs> and also the other way around, she may allow your behavior. Oh, All right. And we distract ourselves. We tell ourselves the big, the great big lie that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. That we say to ourselves all the time. Usually when somebody dies, it's like, everything is okay. No, everything is not okay. Mm-hmm. Not saying that everything is not going to be okay. But right, right now, so, let's yeah, be okay. in the moment. Cool everything is not okay. Exactly, yeah. You know, when you guys are talking about losing loved ones, mm-hmm. the grief in that situation, in grief, everything is not okay. Yeah. Right. When you're talking about going through anxiety and being a freelancer and losing your role and having to almost, you know, do research in place of it, in th- in that moment, everything is not okay. Mm. Right. So when we're working in the, our lifestyle before, my thinking was, all right, this is going to be unraveling, because one of the things that you notice in therapy is that everybody's got coping mechanisms. Yeah. And most of our coping mechanisms center around distraction, avoidant behavior, right? Playing computer games. Mm. Oh, but it's what I enjoy. Okay. <laughs> Watching movies. But I enjoy it. It's my zen. Okay. Mm. Right. <laughs> Going out raving Friday, Saturday. So, but it's Wait, what pastor, I enjoy. Stop checking us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's but, listening, like ticking up. Yeah, that's me. That's me. That, yeah. <laughs> But, but if you take that Xbox away or PlayStation yeah. or no clubs for you to go to if you're not double jacked mm-hmm. and things along those lines and you are left in your own space. Mm-hmm. Now all the skeletons start coming out and said, oh, remember me from 1992? No, remember <laughs> me from 1985? Oh, remember me? I'm the... Those memories are now there. And you're like, hold on, where's my escape? Mm. So for me, what I was thinking in that period of time was, all right, people are going to be facing their demons right now. That mm. you know, there's no one that's going to say, "Oh, there's no monster under the bed." Yes, there's several. Yeah. Right. What's happened is you've slept in a different bed, or you've had the light on, or whatever it is. But now you're facing it. Yeah. So for me, in that situation, my brain was going there. Mm-hmm. And similar to, to Ryan, this is the part I was talking about, the Instagram thing. I started a live on Instagram called, and it's something which I've developed since, to, it's going to look like something else. It's called the Therapy Hour. 
So on Instagram Live, I had this thing where people would be tuning in and commenting and sending me DMs, uh, the good type, right? Not, <laughs> not the one, not the, not the ones I'm interested in. Not the depravity. The depravity. Not the Montgomery type. So they're sending me questions and things. And the reason why I started doing it was in my profession and especially where I'm at in my profession, uh, I cost, when we look at the financial cost of therapy, I'm not cheap, yeah. per, you know. And I'm like, hold on a minute. I didn't get into this for me to be making money mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, I want to make money because it's my time and my resources. But what can I do in order, especially, let's be real, with my community, we yeah. we can be a little bit late to the party of therapy. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it could be religion, it could be cultural, it could be superstition, it could be, you know, we are, this is not a natural country, so we don't want to be talking about business to strangers <laughs> and all of those things combined, right? And also an admittance of us needing help because mm-hmm. apparently resilience is supposed to run through our blood. You know, I've had my blood tested. They couldn't find resilience anywhere within it. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got it right now at home. I'll just do a yearly blood test just to make sure I'm all right. But till now, I'll keep you updated for 2022 where the resilience finds its way in there. But we always assume that, oh, yeah, I'm supposed yeah. to, you know. So that's why I started that for that reason. And then every week, an hour talking about different topics you know, those people that are like, you know, sitting behind the sofa, therapy is not for me. Oh, okay, that sounds interesting. So that was the purpose for me. Like, what can I do as a therapist, but also as a man to show myself in my role to other people that may look like me mm-hmm. or even people that don't look like me to say, all right, I'm coming from a position of knowledge and experience and talking on a certain level, right? I'm wearing a pipe, I'm smoking or whatever. And as you can see, my hue is not necessarily consistent with the imagery of someone like Sigma Freud or Jung mm. and all those or Carl Rogers or anything like that. There's a different hue to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm also, you know, not at that stage where I need to be going to the toilet 10 times a night or something like that. So <laughs> the demographics that I may reach may be different from that, that, that group. So that's why I started that. And then I took it to a different level for me personally, right? As a, as a therapist. Turn the notifications on your stories right now. Yeah. Because if it's coming like this. Yeah. Just, just, just going to see me in the, in the live. You know, just, just like. Kick, 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 kick. <laughs> just like. But yeah. But on a personal level, you asked me there, Alex, which is a good point about me personally. Mm. Without the therapist. And I identified something that was a way for me to deal with challenges, mental challenges, which I do have. I have moments where I'm like, oh, overwhelmed, as you described there, Ryan, previously, or feeling low, lack of motivation, just fed up. And I'm like, you know, that that saying when it's like, hold on, adulting. I can't believe I was a child saying, I can't wait to be an adult. Really? What kind of S and M rubbish is this? I was right? not, okay. Yeah. Just pause there. Pause there, Nathaniel. Sorry, like I have to jump in here. I was saying my niece is four years old, yeah, and she was. And we were helping her move out the other day of her house because she's they're moving to the next one. Yeah. And oh, I was just about to say four no, years old. No, 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 no. no. Uh, uh, you know, like, she's like, you know, she thinks she's a big child. She thinks she's a big person. So, 
Social services, yes. Um, <laughs> it's basically yeah, so, four years old. He said <laughs> she was like, she was like, oh, I want to help. I want to help. I want to. I want to be like the big. I want to be like the the, the adults. It is it. I looked at her dad and I was like, are you gonna tell her or am I? Because <laughs> because I would switch places happily in today. A, in, a, in a heartbeat. Ain't no, ain't no bill paying. Three meals a day. Like literally yeah. all Disney Plus. All Snacks. the time, snacks, <laughs> yes, running around, without bouncing around. people out the way. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, a cute yeah. smile. Like I'm, I'm yeah. good for that. But anyway, yeah. But Trust no one me. tells you about adulthood. No one signs up nah, for it. No, no, nobody <laughs> says that. So I identify very early on over years of challenges of what is my way of dealing with it mm. that helps me like work through it. So I used to perform poetry. I did a. Um, you work with young people to to do a little poetry project with in Brixton. Is it Lambeth in Brixton or is it yeah. I always guess Lambeth and Southwark mixed around. Lambeth. Um, yeah, Lambeth. Lambeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I did work with them poetry before years ago of finding a way for young people to actually because communicating can be difficult for all of us. But imagine being a young person and it's like, all right, talk about your feelings. Huh? Mm. What does that look like, right? What words, what the vocabulary can I have to be able to express that? So poetry is a, I found as a good outlet for me. And also I found it for young people as well. So in lockdown, there was some writing, but also I, I, I started loving exercise, right? High intensity exercise. So I thought myself, but also some of my close friends, men, black, African men, that we on the, I think we're on the bottom rung of the list of talking. Maybe us and my my Caribbean brothers are, you know, we're fighting to see who can all talk. Us, all of us, yeah, <laughs> see who can talk less. Yes, everyone's trying to quit talking. Want to chat your business? <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, say but, less, say less. Yes, it's like who's talking the hardest. Opposite of that. Mm. So it's so I started this morning thing where on Instagram, I'm no WhatsApp. Just video call each other and exercise in the morning for about forty-five minutes. Wow! Every Monday to Friday, and the reason why I started that is I didn't tell them, but because they won't ask. Mm. It's an opportunity for us to see each other on video, but also to work out together because we'll go gym together before right. and do things like that. So that when you start putting pattern in place, mm-hmm. your brain is like, I've got something to look forward to. Mm. and then the next day you do it you see your boys how are you guys doing yeah i'm all right you joke about them not being able to complete the set they take mm-hmm. the make out of you there's that normality that is infused within something like that mm-hmm. and that i started that what in early april last year and it carried on with did oh, some wow. yeah it carried on to the end of the year obviously when boris opened up the world again everybody's like oh okay they yeah. dropped out but then when it locked up again, <laughs> you came then, crawling back, baby. You know, they always come back. Like, what it was, yeah, they'll always come back. You know? <laughs> they, they were, you know, they, they were not happy with their own failures or something like that. What's that thing? What's that movie? I don't know. Is it, is it Thanos? Like, like, they were not happy with their failures. They come back. <laughs> so they came back and we actually had a workout yesterday as well. Yeah. So that has actually been continuing because mm. men and you know, there are ways in which you can connect with men. So for me, activity based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's how I coped with it personally. And also 
professionally, it was like, all right, what can I put in place for me to be, I need to make sure I don't go to bed at two o'clock mm-hmm. at night. I need to make sure I get up at a certain time so mm-hmm. I don't get into that. Remember Christmas holiday period when you don't know what day you're in yes, and you don't know what time it is and then your brain is frazzled. You wake up tired, you go to bed tired. And mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to avoid all of that by being disciplined. And, okay, I'm going to get up normal time. I'm going to go to bed my normal time. So then that way I don't get into it because who knew how long it was going to last. So, yeah. That's so, so that's how, how I coped with it. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I find it so interesting because like the creative outlet was so important that, yeah, I found. Obviously, I had the podcast, so I... Mm. I upped the conversations. It was literally Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, see me do some madness with this show, you know. <laughs> and I, I booked everybody for like I was booked out, and <laughs> like, and I was like, nah. And then, and I bought. I started with calligraphy sets. I had um, <laughs> sketching okay. pads. Mm-hmm. I was on like I, I bought like loads of courses, like online stuff, to kind of really get myself like keep myself in tune like you know if i'm gonna be born to be here all day i need to figure out what i'm doing like keep myself going um and then obviously i got my camera out and that's when i'm richard was kind of helping me with some stuff so it was kind of really pushing myself through um, all of that and the creative stuff but i really got back down to my writing and that's kind of how my instagram then changed into Mm. me sharing insights and affirmations and Mm. just kind of my own philosophy of like what's of what's going on with me mm. as well and it just became a thing where like I didn't care how much interaction I was getting with it I just wanted to share it because I couldn't commit to too long a blog um, <laughs> at, at the time and I just thought you know what I'm on Instagram um, and I just want to share stuff that is uplifting because there's people out there where it's really tough and it was hard for me and for me I needed to see positive stuff so watching ryan do his his lives every day was was great because it was it was a community building stuff it was something that you used your own kind of talents and your own kind of knowledge just to say look we're going to talk about what's going on on the front lines and i didn't see anybody else doing something like that you know you put a lot of energy into that so when you were saying earlier about you had to slow down and kind of stop yeah because you you were kind of pushing yourself you were pushing yourself to see if you could do it as well as helping people kind of, you know, really connect in that way. So I was seeing a lot of that stuff coming up from loads of different people and just kind of figuring out, everyone was really figuring out why their creative strengths were lying and, um, you know, changing and shifting. And I, and I loved seeing the the shifts there as well. Mm. But just an additional thing about the, about the community, Nathaniel, about kind of like getting people to kind of come... Um, and really connect. Like I was doing a lot of workouts with my friends, a lot of virtual stuff. Um, and I started men's groups and all those different things. And then recently as things started kind of opening up again, it, those sort of, those stuff sort of dwindled down. And one mm. thing I did realize was that, and I said this um, to several people, like I feel, I felt a lot more lonelier, but a lot lonelier um, <laughs> once everything started opening up again, hmm. because I was like, Oh my gosh, like <coughs> I didn't like the pressure of having to go outside, but now that everybody's outside, there's this pressure to me and to and to do all this stuff. Mm. Um, but also I felt less connected to my friends. Like there were times where 
I was on the phone all the time, like kind of chatting to people mm. that I wanted to talk to. And we were all kind of jumping in a group chat and like, you know, and we were kind of mm. always doing stuff like this, these kind of calls. And then they, those things just stopped because mm. everybody started going out again. And, you know, and you know what I mean? And I just felt like that kind of abrupt disconnection Mm-hmm. I it didn't sit well with me, and I and it, and I the adjustment didn't do me too well initially because yeah, I was like, oh, this is this is tough. I don't know if any of you felt the same way, but hundred percent, man, hundred percent. And just to like piggyback off, but what you were both saying in terms of community based, you know, workouts with with guys and stuff like that, um, and then touching on almost like it's like this 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 event has happened and we're, we are now emerging from the rubble and seeing what's what we've kept and what we've lost and i'm now starting to feel and see some of the things that i didn't realize that we had lost um so particularly in my uh friendship groups of that aren't you know related to podcasting or uh, new relationships that i've built up but i'm talking about like let's call them legacy friendships um, Mm -hmm. where the system or the framework of those friendships just disappeared because, you know, we were meeting up and doing the things that we usually do. Um, And exactly like Alex was saying um, in the beginning, it was a, you know, a zoom party quiz, like all these different things that people were doing. Um, But as the world started to open up and the caveat here as well is that uh, each individual has a different, um, comfortability level with being out um probably now everyone's kind of more of an even kill but particularly you know as you know last summer when so summer 2020 when things opened up and it was eat out to help out and stuff and you know everyone's in different situations you know different living situations some people shielding and stuff so throughout this whole period i've definitely seen that framework starting well to that that framework's disappeared and therefore the connection isn't as strong as it was in terms of because there's there's not that upkeep that natural upkeep that happened um so with my with my boys what we what worked for us was just making sure that we turned up for football every week as everything opened up and you know i don't know if this is just a men thing but being able to do two, three, four things at once is just epic. Like exercising, having fun. I get to catch up with my boys. Yeah, like that's awesome. And it's you, you're not going to this one place to talk because everyone on this call is probably going to be that friend in the group that is going to open or um, mm. prod a deeper chat. Um, and I am that person in in my group. And yeah. they say, or I've heard that you know your mind goes where where you put your body. So if you're in, if you're playing football or if you're in the gym or if you're working out, you know, you're connected. And then from there, well, scientifically, you know, you're going to have all the different like, adrenaline and hormones and the, not hormones, but the science, the science stuff going on in your body. that makes science flowing through your body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that makes people more open. Um, you can ask questions, maybe not even a deep question, but something that, um, insights conversation and then you can find out uh, you know how people are and also share how you are without it mm. feeling like oh I'm feeling like you know this is a bit of a, a lion's den and everyone's ganging up on me and trying to get these feelings out that I don't want to talk about because who wants to talk about you know their scars you know that that hurt them you know so yeah. I've definitely found that to be a massive help um, 
particularly, I mean, I play football, so that's just been great. That's been great. Um, but I have seen for the people that I don't play football with that those relationships have started to, they're in overdraft, I feel, mm. you know? Mm. That's such I, a good phrase. I was there with, I was doing the exact same thing, but we were doing it on skates. So once we got to skate, once we started skating again, and mm. really like, we were like, okay, we'll just meet up at this kind of place just to skate, mm. just to be outside with one another, like playing music on speakers and just yeah. roller skating. Obviously, we don't have to chat too deeply. We're just, what we're doing is trying to finesse how to turn around and turn back. Um, and you know what? I'm just not drop, you know? So, um, and, and and then that progress to go into the discos and go into the, to that stuff. And, and yeah, so yeah, similar. It's, it's the activity thing that Nathaniel was kind of mentioning, you know, once you get the activities together, you can start doing stuff together. And that's where the collaborations start to happen as well. It's true. It's true. Just to go back to, um, Richard, what you were talking about with your experience in um, in lockdown, mm-hmm. and maybe this is something that everyone can shed some light on as well. Um, so everyone had to deal with these big events mm-hmm. that were happening in life. What I found most difficult was something that you touched on with mm-hmm. not wanting to show up to the, the 9am team check-in and the Zoom mm-hmm. call, the odd things here and there, because particularly at a time with the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. for me, the main thing that comes up is so Nathaniel was talking about avoidant behavior. I'm a classic avoidant person. Um, God, I'm fearful that, avoidant. In, that was in yeah in in that period in particular. I was like, oh, please, just don't. No one bring it up. Please don't bring it. Up. I just want to. If I'm going to be doing my work, I just want to do my work. I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. nothing. And being the uh, the only black male in a big you know a company, I'm like, no, like please, one someone don't say something that's out of line because then <sighs> I have to be the guy. Yeah. I have to be the guy. Cause now you're going to pull me out of pocket. At this time. <laughs> exactly. Like... Now I'm going to be ignorant. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we don't want that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Then adding that with being, me, being a natural introvert and, yep. you know, an avoidant. Mm-hmm. And so after, after those calls, when those calls ended and you see the zoom call ended, I'm like, <sighs> Yeah, yes. big sigh of relief. Thank you. Like, let me just mm. please just get, let me just do my thing. Like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be communicating at this time unnecessarily because you know when people feel comfortable around you as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, for me. It's a it's a dangerous place as well because that's because where they let them come up and, in oh, comments <laughs> slip. They let them slide. Like, oh. you know what I mean, isn't it, mate? Exactly. You, know, you get what I mean. <laughs> Please, no, I'm, no, not, no, I'm not being no. funny, but I'm doing yeah, it. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. And you know something. Yeah. You know something foolish is coming after that. Anything yeah. that's after that is foolish. Mm. Yeah. But it's like at that time in particular, it's like you had mm. to be on guard, and it's like mm-hmm. every every interaction is like, do I, you know, am I the person I say I am if I if I don't combat this comment? Mm. You know? And that was <laughs> exhausting. That was yeah. so exhausting. Wow. Yeah. Also, I, also the thought of being like a monolith as well, yeah. because yes. we are all black men, but we're, of course. All, we're yeah. all individuals and yeah. being viewed as, yes, we are a community, but being viewed as just one thing was very difficult for me as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I resonate with, I resonate with all of that. I think the thing for me at a certain point, you know, when you're on an airplane 
and they do the the flight check thing that people don't pay attention to, but they always say, "In it." <laughs> Alex is doing the the, the flight attendant dance. <laughs> He's doing the flight attendant skank. Um But they always say, "Oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling. Yeah. Put on your mask first yeah. before attempting to help anyone else." Yeah, and. <clears throat> When I first started getting on planes, I was like, that's deep. Like, how can you just let people around you mash up? But then, you know, eventually I realised if the cabin loses pressure, you've got a finite amount of time Uh to make sure that you are breathing oxygen and that you're going to stay conscious. If you fall unconscious, you can't help anyone else. Mm. Yeah. The thing that... It wasn't even... Do you know what? when it was for me? It was in January. It was with Kobe Bryant. Mm. When Kobe Bryant died, yeah, that was a blow, man. I was floored. I was floored. Mm. And I remember going into the office, and someone said to me, "Oh, did you did you know Kobe Bryant?" And I, <laughs> you know, when you know Street Fighter, when Ken and Ryu are just powering up the just chill and yeah, I yeah. said I said I don't think you really understand that for a lot of us in the black community we grew up without fathers and so when you have these big figures who are in you know the public arena they're in these big spaces mm. particularly when they're doing really well and they're giving back to the community it's not necessarily that I know him but it's that he means something very significant to me and mm. he means something to my community. Um, and what I realised after that is that I don't have the energy to explain anything to anyone, you know? Mm. So when the pandemic hit, it, it was a few, it was like two weeks before um, lockdown actually was put in place. I just, I stood up one day, I said to everyone, Everyone, I'll be working from home. If you need me, I will come in. If you don't need me or it's not urgent, you can reach me on the phone, you can reach my email, or, you know, we can video call. I'll be at home. You <laughs> I really packed up all my stuff. You really said, I'm going to collect my, my thing. My bag, and you just, and I bought, and you flicked your do-rag string. Because, <laughs> because I just realised, I really, I just realised, like, I don't have the energy mm. and... I'm so glad that I did that because by the time lockdown hit proper, I was already in a state of mind where I was like, no one can phone me and talk to me about race relations. No one could talk to me and and phone me, like phone me and talk to me about, oh, what's it like being black right now? Like, I just said, I'm not having that conversation because Mm. everyone has got the same Google that I've got access to. And if they really want to do the work, they can read all the books that I've read. They can, there's other avenues. And I think what, I mean, Nathaniel, you could, I would love to hear you weigh into this, but for me, what it was, was the emotional labor. It's the emotional labor of feeling like, no, I've got to correct this person. No, I've got to set this straight. No, I got to make sure that people know. And it's the emotional labor also of like holding down all of those emotions when someone does say something stupid or ignorant. Mm, the burden you of expectation. Them. The burden of expectation. And you want right? to, you want to, you know what I mean? You want to put them straight and stuff. But all of that emotional charge, it takes 
an opposing force to hold it at bay. So all every one of those meetings is so loaded with uh. potential energy mm. and holding that potential energy back is tiring and it's draining. Uh. Yeah. So I think I think yeah. a lot of, I mean, yeah, certainly a lot of the black people that I have spoken to have felt that emotional labour over last year. And so many people coming out of the pain and being like, oh my gosh, I didn't realise it was like this. I didn't know it was this bad. And it's like, what have, what, where have you been all this time? Like, what, what have we been saying all this time? Um, so, f- yeah, for me, there's that emotional labour component. Yeah. Um, but, Nathaniel, I would love to hear what you think about that and how, if, you know, if you experience any of that or, and how you dealt with it, particularly as someone who is kind of in that seat of listening to other people yeah. professionally. What? Well, I, I, I like this. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I like this conversation very much. And the reason why I like it very much is because it's an opportunity for us. You know, I always put FUBU at the end of some some things I put online mm. and without any explanation because those who know, know, mm. right? <laughs> what the acronym stands for. Like that. Because it's an opportunity for us to speak without the white gaze mm. over the white ears mm. because this is important conversation in regards to last year, you, you know, when you talk about Kobe Bryant, for me, that, that, that resonated because I had a moment like that when Michael Jackson died. Now, Michael Jackson was my guy, right? So when he died, so imagine someone larger than life dying. And I was like, and then ignorant people will be saying something. Did you listen? My sister cried and she's older than me. And she was like so upset because Michael was, yeah, 100%. right, ours. And however, the, the you know, the vitiligo affected him. Uh, that's a decision for him and him himself. But for me, it's that cultural icon that represents so many things. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the impact of, you know, George Floyd, Last year, I was very busy, right? George Floyd made me very busy. But one of the things I quoted was this thing called collective racial trauma, right? And when people say, yeah, but because of a lack of understanding, and I come from a place of trying to understand people, you know, even before I became a therapist, uh, you know, I lived in Southeast London. Woolwich, back when Woolwich was majority white, right? I went to school, Eaglesfield Secondary School, right? Where with with Stephen Lawrence's brother, Stuart. Yeah. So it was in that area near near Elton, Welling, where the you know the bookshop was. So when the the George Floyd murder lynching is probably appropriate considering the country happened in. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. I knew immediately that this is going to kick off. And the reason why I knew immediately is because of how it affected me directly. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't watch it. Then I couldn't look away. Then I yes. was like, and 
certain things were stirring inside of me. Yeah. You know, it was anger. It was sadness that I wanted to cry, but the tears wouldn't come because I'm watching this person and based on the personality I have, I always want to be active and do something about what I feel is wrong, even if I pay the cost of losing things. So I'm there watching it and the helplessness hit me. I'm like, I'm just so angry and upset. And I'm like, stop it, do something. The, the, The policeman in front, that is saying back away, move back. And I'm like, no, turn around, see it. Because I'm always almost pleading for his humanity because he wasn't white, right? I was pleading that maybe you can somehow something because obviously we didn't know more came out later and later. You're right. We're just thinking it's one man on top of him. And then you find another angle where there are two people holding his legs down. I'm like, oh my God. So all of this was going on for me. And in that moment, I was like, okay, nah, this is not right. I just, it was similar to watching the Rodney King video. It's like, this is just not right. It's on a human level, this is not right. Mm. And what it triggered for me was running away from racists in Woolwich many years ago, right? What it triggered for me was me and my friends going to a house party Brilliant house party, by the way, <laughs> in Charlton. But we're Robin willing to on our way there. Nathaniel. You know what I mean? We're, we're going there like, oh, I'm going to catch the bus 180 to, to Charlton. But walking past the pub, right, and being chased by some white guys, saying certain things that you can, you know, fill in the gaps yourself. Mm-hmm. And when police were called, right, police stopped us. Us, yeah. Of course. And they were like, I'm, we're like, hold on a minute. <laughs> one of us called the police. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. One of us called police for help. Because imagine that we're college, yeah, stu- we're college students. Yeah. Right? So we're not even university age. So we're uh, teenagers, mid-teenagers. And it's explaining to the police and the police stopping you from talking. and say, be quiet. What are you doing here? Where are you from? What's your... I'm not... Listen, my friend's shirt is ripped up up there. Look, look, use your eyes to actually look at the surrounding and see what is going on here. Mm-hmm. And the brazenness of these people still standing outside the pub laughing. Of course. Not not running away. It's almost as if they felt comfortable yeah. and confident in that situation. So that triggered me to my own yeah. place. Mm-hmm. And what I found happening, is, that's why I called it uh, collective racial trauma, is every single person, every single black person, black man, black woman, went to their own yes. place, yeah. right? So, you, Richard, you were talking yeah. about your own experience mm-hmm. earlier on. Mm-hmm. You went, it took you there. It did. It, it really right, resurfaced it. Right yeah. there. So when you think about it, when we see grief on TV, when we see death and loss, it takes us to our own place of loss. We connect to it on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So when the George Floyd thing happened, that's what I felt personally myself. Yeah. And that's why I was like, hmm. a lot of people, because people find it difficult to pinpoint like, okay, many people have died before. Why this? Why so many black people so upset? Because it was right in front of us. The man might as well have looked into the camera and said, please, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. he begged. He begged for his life. It, in all of this, the man was still saying, "Sir, 
Yeah. Yes, sir. He was still trying Civil. Yeah. to do what he felt he had to do as a black person to a white police officer yeah. in that moment. Mm-hmm. In the moment of losing life, it was still trying to, you know what, well, let me do my P's and Q's. Maybe this will keep me alive. Right. Oh. All of those things were coming up and I was looking and I assessing it and I'm looking at it as a man, as a therapist, as a black person, as an African, as, you know, the white gaze and always trying to look from a position of empathy and understanding, which made it very difficult in that situation mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's some things that only us could understand. So I helped write articles along the lines. But for me, what you were saying, Richard, that it resonated because of that situation of we looked at him and if I was in America, for whatever reason, and my $20 wasn't $20 or whatever it is, Mm. that could be me. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of white colleagues did not understand that. And the reason why they didn't understand it is because they could not imagine that that could happen to them. That's mm-hmm. right. But we felt, a lot of black people, black men felt, that could be me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you've got the, the British media and British people talking about, oh, that's in America, though. Mm, exactly. And then I have to remind them of Dalian Atkinson, Right. And when we're talking about a footballer, play for Aston Villa, mm. brilliant. If you if you don't know Dalian Atkinson, he probably scored one of the best goals in the 90s, right? Ran the whole length of the pitch <laughs> and banged it in for Aston Villa. And you're thinking about him. And he died at the hands of the police in the UK. Mm. And recently, a police officer, two police officers were charged with being complicit in his death. Wow. Right, in tasering him and yeah. in essence killing him, manslaughter, and this is in the UK. So we can't really, like yeah. yeah, we can't really say, oh, he's over there. But in regards to your question, Richard, is that sense of that collective racial trauma? I can see it, the same reason why you go anywhere and you see a black person in a crowd of white faces. Mm-hmm. There's that. <clears throat> Yeah. There's, there, there's that, there's that the nod. nod. There, there, there's the nod. There's that acknowledgement that I see you and I know you see me. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to say anything to you. You will know that there's a collective lived experiences that we share. Mm-hmm. Usually, right? Mm-hmm. That we share. And if we see one of us get killed in that manner that we have somehow experienced either directly or vicariously, we don't necessarily have to be stopped by the police to expect to be stopped by police. Mm-hmm. And there's something within that, right? Yeah. That yeah. we we feel a woman doesn't necessarily have to have experienced being raped for her to fear that that could happen mm. to her, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that collective experience that we all share mm. as black men, as black women, as black people. So when we see something like that go down, the the LA riots in the nineties did not occur because of one person. It occurred because seeing the way they beat Rodney King, mm. a lot of people in America, it resonated with them that this is what we've been telling you about. Right. So when Richard is talking about people saying, well, or, you know, really? Has this been going on? What are you guys talking about? I didn't know. I didn't. It's almost like, listen, we've been telling you for how many years? Mm. Somebody had to take a camera out 
film it, shove it in your face. Even at that point, yeah. you're still going, um, maybe it's a one-off. What did he do wrong? What did, yeah, what did, what, as if that was a justification yeah. for that, yeah. right? So the anger, the, the feeling of enough is enough. And I describe it uh, to a group of colleagues of mine at the time when I'm talking about collective racial trauma as this. Imagine being abused as a child and it's happened, it's stopped. And you're now spending a lot of your life trying to deal with the effects of that. Now, imagine if every time you try to deal with the effects of that, you're getting abused again mm-hmm. and again. And somebody's playing you a video of somebody getting abused and somebody's talking about somebody getting abused. Mm-hmm. Every day is a trigger. Mm-hmm. So now when we see black people getting beaten mm-hmm. or called the N-word or getting killed, it triggers some part of your experience to that. To racism, to how you've been othered by society, and you getting triggered every day. And think about last year for you, Richard. In that period of time, you mentioned something that's so important for us to understand the plight for black men mm. or black people generally, which is this. When we are on alert, our brain sends all the signals to our body to prepare us for impending whatever is impending. Mm. Are we going to bang it out? Are we going to splurt? Which is run for anyone that's not aware of the early early 2000 vernacular, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or are we going to freeze? Our brain is basically our bodyguard. It's trying to protect us. It's like, oh my gosh, you're going down? Now listen, you need some of this. Tool up because it's about to go down. That's what our brain does to us. But after a while, our brain, when danger is over. Our brain now settles down to an equilibrium where there's a balance, a calmness. Now, imagine you're in a, you're in a heightened state of alert throughout. Yeah. Every day, what you described there, Richard, is about somebody's going to say something stupid, I'm going to bang him up. Somebody's going to say something, somebody's going to trigger me. Every day, you are on high alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a direct correlation, and research will bear this out. Yeah of stress killing black people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A high level of stress. And stress is created, if you understand stress, is created by the overwhelm, mm-hmm. right? It's overwhelm of the body, of the mind, <laughs> of dealing with all the things. So if you're a black person living in a white space and you're on high alert every day, yeah. leave your car running and leave the battery on. Let's see what happens, yeah. yeah. For real. This is the thing, and this is, and this is what I've been kind of dallying with as well. Um, I think I, I, I'm not on Twitter, but I see the tweets um, mm-hmm. um, when people put it on Instagram and stuff. And I think, and I have conversations in my group chats and with my guys about just this stuff. And sometimes, when uh, when I think about it, and I think when we, are, as black people, the a mental space that we have taken up. Restricts us from doing so much in life. Mm. Sometimes I will sit on the tube, and I will just watch like white people just mm. 
existing, living their everyday life, like literally so oblivious, uh, so, yeah. oblivious, so, free. so oblivious and unaware of <laughs> their own surroundings and so happy, like generally Whoa. just their only stress. You know, I'm not saying they don't have stresses, but, no, but it's not, but, but, it, but it doesn't have to do, <laughs> it doesn't have to do with their existence. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Facts. Like if I'm walking past a police car, like I've not been stopped mm. and searched. Um, uh, carnival, but everybody gets stopped. But like, um, I'm not been stopped in search like the way you know Rich had, or you know been stopped by the police in that kind of experience, or like you, Nathaniel. Um, but I have an acute awareness of mm-hmm. behavior. Then becomes my body mm-hmm. does shift, um, yeah. and I remember when I was when I went to get the first dose of the vaccine. Um, I remember sitting in the hospital, and I was cool. I was like, you know, just regular, regular me. And then two white male doctors came in and stood like adjacent to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but my body just tensed up and it felt mm-hmm. so cautious of them. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, is this some kind of like throwback to just like, you know, yeah. you know, like just some times where you just don't trust white people in medicine or white men in, in power over you. I'm sitting down there standing, all these different things, all these things are happening that, and I'm just not, and I'm, my body is naturally just reacting uh, to this. And I'm just yeah. like, why is my body feeling like this? Why do I feel so uncomfortable? Why do I feel so yeah. tense? What is going on? I was fine a minute That's ago. It. Um, so it. It, just, it was all of that stuff. Um, you know, just the reactivity. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I experienced as well? <clears throat> About six or seven months in, it was like, I just hit a wall. Mm. It was like I was running and then suddenly I was waist deep in treacle. Mm. And I think all of that high alert, all of that stress that had been just building up for years, being inside for so long, not interacting with people, I think my brain for the first time in years was like, okay, now we can calm down. And it took me so long to kind of just recover from all of that adrenaline, all of the kind of cortisol from kind of draining out of my system. I was floored. I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. I was wiped. Because suddenly I didn't have all of that extra, you know, stress to kind of keep me moving. And we're going to have to stop there. The conversation was too good for it to just stay in one place. So we're going to be back next week with a conversation with Nathaniel Oke, Richard Harris and Ryan Nile around barriers to entry in therapy, how we can get people talking about their mental health and what it looks like for the future of Black British psychotherapeutic practices. Looking forward to chatting to you all next week. Bye. And don't forget, look after yourself. And remember, open up those conversations, be courageous, and remember, you are not alone. See you next week.